So I'd say if you're going to put it simply, uh, all those super athletes and top sports stars who are very driven to be vegan, they've got the benefit of, well, a lot of resources, top nutritionists and all the knowledge. So I think a vegan diet can be quite healthy if you supplement carefully and you eat the best quality foods and you cover all of the kind of the gaps in that diet pretty well. So my problem would be that the average person who gets the vegan ideology, they won't have all that backup and support and, and top resources. So they can end up with nutrient deficiencies. When it came to eating and dieting, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I interviewed over a thousand women and I said, what did you do? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What did you eat? How'd you do it? If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantal Ray, author of Waste Away, The Chantal Ray Way. And each week I have different guests answering your questions. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Waste Away. And today I'm so excited to introduce my next guest. He's a biochemical engineer and he's co-authored a book called Eat Rich, Live Long. And he's also the creator of the Fat Emperor podcast. And currently he is the chief program officer for Irish Heart Disease Awareness. So welcome, Ivor Cummins. Hey, thanks a lot, Chantel. Great to be here. So how did you get this nickname, the Fat Emperor? Right. Well, I kind of made it up one night with my wife. It was early on in my research back in 2013. And I discovered that a lot of what we heard about fat and cholesterol and health was completely wrong. So it was kind of three reasons. Uh, the Fat Emperor, one reference is to the emperor's new clothes, you know, where everyone knew there was something wrong, like all the researchers did about fat and cholesterol but they didn't say anything. They kept their heads down. And the other thing is the emperor uh, kind of represents corporate power of the food and pharma industries, which have kind of rigged the game for many decades. And the last part of the analogy or metaphor is, you know, the fat person, the millions of obese people now, and it's not really their fault. It's through a corrupted food supply mainly that's caused all of our obesity epidemics. So it was kind of like that, a metaphor with three levels. Awesome. Um, now, I recently watched a Netflix movie called The Game Changer, and it talks about the benefits of solely a plant-based diet. So what is your opinion on the vegan diet? Yeah, well, Chantel, I know this one's pretty controversial of late, and that movie is getting a lot of circulation. So I'd say if you're going to put it simply, uh, all those super athletes and top sports stars who are very driven to be vegan, they've got the benefit of, well, a lot of resources, top nutritionists, and all the knowledge. So I think a vegan diet can be quite healthy if you supplement carefully and you eat the best quality foods and you cover all of the kind of the gaps in that diet pretty well. So my problem would be that the average person who gets the vegan ideology, they won't have all that backup and support and, and top resources. So they can end up with nutrient deficiencies. And I think a good example is Dr. Joel Kahn, who's kind of a buddy of mine. He's a cardiologist who's vegan for 40 years. And he's very upfront and he's done blog posts 
saying how important it is that a vegan diet must have supplementation. Uh, and I think that was glossed over in the movie. So omnivorous diets with the nutrient density of meat, fish, eggs, organ meats, all of these things are enormously powerful for health. So if you're going to take out all of those ancestrally appropriate evolutionary food items that we evolved on, you have to be really careful. And I suspect that the movie doesn't emphasize any of what I said. It just makes a simple simplified image that vegan is healthy full stop perhaps even healthier than eating an ancestral you know meat and vegetables diet which i think could be very misleading yeah and i think the one thing that people need to realize is that there i don't think there's a nutritionist in the world that wouldn't say eating a lot of vegetables is good like no matter unless you unless you're a carnivore where you say you know you feel like being eating meat is just eating meat is the way to go. Yeah. I don't know anyone that wouldn't agree that eating a lot of vegetables is really good for you. Like, I, I think it'd be a hard argument for someone to make where they would say, yep, eating, eating a lot of vegetables. Would, would you say eating a lot of vegetables isn't good for you? Well, no, I'd say meat and two veg was the old phrase before our modern processed food disaster. Uh, it didn't say meat and two veg and lots of rice or pasta or potatoes. I think that's where most of the problem comes from, the refined carbohydrate. But meat and two veg. Now, there are some question marks with people with autoimmune disease. Celiac is a clear example where eating that plant food, wheat, will actually cause around 1% of people to suffer and die. So obviously, the plant world foods, there are risks there. But if you're eating simple vegetables, above ground, non-starchy vegetables, traditional ones, you know, yeah. that gives you fiber for your microbiome and all these things. So I think meat and veg is probably an optimum diet. And the people who have very strong sensitivities or autoimmune issues, if they cut out the plant foods, they can isolate all the potential problems and then reintroduce plant foods carefully if they have a serious issue slowly reintroduce plant foods and see what their problem is. So in my newest edition of my book, Waste Away, I talk about how people don't have to deprive themselves when it comes to food, but everyone needs to decide for themselves what are their red light, yellow light, and green light foods. Meaning red light foods, like when you eat this, you feel terrible when you eat it. Yellow light foods would be things that you're like, I don't feel great, but I don't feel terrible when I eat this. So for you personally, what are some foods that you just say, like, I completely avoid this? And what are some things that you say, I don't avoid it, but I don't, I eat in limitation or in moderation? Ah, yeah, that's very good, actually, Chantel. It's a bit like Professor Tim Noak's book, The Banting Diet, and those red, yellow, and green lists. So I'd say red for me are the refined carbohydrate-based foods or ones which have modern vegetable oils or industrial seed oils. So the breads, pretty much all of them, unless they're uh, spelt-type, old-fashioned grain breads, Breads are pretty much on the red list because I find that if I eat any, I want to eat like 50 pounds of them. Uh, they're just a massive weight gain instrument. And pastas as well, the refined carbon vegetable oil of modern pastas, I'd avoid like the plague. 
and basically ultra processed foods in general. So all of the packet foods in the supermarket, all maybe 60, 70% of the center of the supermarket all carry dangers. And then if I got to yellow foods, I guess I'd be careful with potatoes. I'd eat them boiled uh, with the skins so they're less kind of glucose bombs. And rice, I'll have some white rice, but in moderation. So there's some of these carbohydrate foods I'll have in moderation. Uh, they tickle your insulin system. You don't want to overdrive that. But occasionally awaking it is no harm. So they'd be kind of the yellow foods. Alcohol's another yellow food in a sense that a glass or two of wine I really enjoy. But if you have too much wine, not only is that a problem for health, but also it lowers your resistance to eating bad foods. So I find that's a very strong effect and it's something to really watch out for. I really love your accent. I could listen to you talk all day. <laughs> um, so now the question I ask all my guests, take me through a normal day in the life of Ivor. Like what did you eat yesterday and when did you eat it? Right, okay. Well, yesterday I had a breakfast, just a few eggs in a pan with lots of salt. And that's often the thing I'll have for breakfast, eggs, maybe a little meat. But around three or four days a week, I skip breakfast. And another few days a week, I'll skip lunch instead. So I generally eat two meals a day and sometimes one meal a day. But if I am going to have a breakfast, it has to be very low carb and nutrient dense and eggs fit really well or an omelet. And mm. I, some people say I get tired of eggs, as it happens, I don't. Uh, so yesterday I had eggs for breakfast, I had no lunch, and in the evening we had kind of a meat sauce bolognese, but I only took a very small amount of the gluten-free pasta. You know, the other people in the family maybe took a little more, but I just took a little on the side. And that would be kind of a typical day. A breakfast, probably skip lunch, and then evening meal would be meat and some vegetables. So cauliflower or broccoli, generally the vegetables I'd have. And I find it's a very sustainable way to eat and it gets me basically the nutrients I need without having too much of the refined carb or, or very absorbable carb. Uh, another little tip is when I do have some rice or potato, I tend to leave it to the end of the meal because we have science now that if you eat your meat and protein up front, and then eat the carbohydrate part of the meal afterwards, it's much more slowly absorbed and it raises blood glucose and insulin much less. So even if you do fix what you eat, the order in which you eat can also be brought to your advantage. That's awesome. And so as you know, I've written a book and what I did was I interviewed over a thousand women and I asked them, what did they do breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And honestly, a huge portion of them, you know, at least probably 70, 80% um, said that they only ate two meals a day and that that was their simplest and most effective form of eating. And they didn't know they were doing intermittent fasting. They just were like, no, I just, my body only needs two meals a day. And so I think it's interesting that you kind of mix it up. I like that where you're like, you know, sometimes I might have breakfast and dinner. Sometimes I might have lunch and dinner and kind of change that up. 
Yeah, and also when you skip lunch, you can just work right through the, through the day. You know, I'm, I got a lot on my plate, so I find I can work the whole day. And there's no hunger because if you've eaten a low-carb or keto-tending diet for some time, you'll be a very good fat burner burning your own body fat. So you really don't have the hunger challenges that a modern diet eater would have if they skipped a meal. And even my, my daughter as well and other people in the house, fasting has become very common, even with the younger generation. My daughter's actually just started first year medicine and she, uh, she has gravitated towards skipping meals, but not in an old healthy kind of a food problem uh, kind of issue, but just because she finds like your, the people you interviewed, it's a much easier way to maintain your weight and feel good is to eat the occasional proper meal and be very comfortable with skipping meals and waiting to really enjoy that good meal you have later on. Yeah. And I would say that uh, also in the women I interviewed, they would say, you know, if I am looking to lose weight, I will just eat one meal a day. Like if they've gained a couple pounds and for me personally, like if I'm, I usually eat two meals a day, but when I want to lose weight and I'm feeling like, you know, I'm, I've gained a couple pounds, me going to one meal a day really will burn that fat and get me into fat burning mode very quickly. It, yeah, it's perfect, Chantel. And the other thing is by skipping breakfast and lunch, you've already had your overnight fast. So your insulin is low. And then by going the rest of the day, you're really into fat burning. And then when the evening comes, you can enjoy and, and savor much more, I find, uh, a really good meal. Mm -hmm. And your stomach tends to also have contracted somewhat. I know this sounds funny. So when you have that evening meal, you don't really feel like overeating at all. You can right. actually feel full quite quickly. It's, it's a great trick. And it's pretty much how we evolved, I think. It's species appropriate for humans that kind of behavior is, is much more appropriate than the modern five, three meals a day plus a couple of snacks. That's insane. It is insane. And when you're working, like for me on the days I really need to get a lot done, I'm definitely skipping breakfast and lunch because I just will go through and power through and get so much more done. And I don't kind of have that wall of like after lunch, I'm starting to get a little tired. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far, but as you know, I've interviewed over a thousand women and every time I've watched a thin eater eat, I realize that maintaining a healthy weight is a skill that can be taught and mastered over time. That's why I created a video course that will teach you all the tips that I learned to help me lose over 30 pounds. It's way more powerful to watch the thin eaters than even to listen or to read it. Go to ChantelRayWay.com video for a free glimpse. If you're wanting to take yourself to the next level, everyone needs a coach. Every professional player has a coach. We want to come alongside you and help you in your journey. Go to ChantalRayway.com slash coaching. I just had someone listen to the audiobook three times and she just emailed me and she said by her listening to the audiobook three times, that's what did it. That's what allowed her to really lose the weight. We have an amazing offer for you. It's the second edition of my book, which has tons more information. It has the audiobook, the ebook. It normally runs for $29.99. You can get it today for $4.99. Go to ChantelRayway.com slash deal to get it. Now back to the show. Let's jump right into the listener questions. This first one is from Kate in Winchester. 
My social life is taking a big hit due to this one meal a day I'm trying. I used to meet friends for lunch. Now that now I don't have lunch. I don't want to shop because I don't want to spend money on clothes that won't fit for long. What are some ideas to do with friends that don't involve eating or spending money? Kate in Winchester. Whoa. Yeah, that's, that's a good one because people sometimes react badly when you're skipping food or they think you have a food disorder. Uh, so, well, I mean, there's, there's any amount of things you can do. You can go for a coffee. Uh, unfortunately, most of the coffee shops have all these pastries and bad foods there. Uh, but if you can stick to having a coffee with people without the food, that's perfectly reasonable. A black coffee with some heavy cream is not fasting, but it's, it's also not gorging on a big meal. Uh, I guess you could go and try and think of activities that are relatively low cost. I mean, you can meet someone for bowling or something like that or to do a little sport, uh, perhaps. Um, and I'm thinking aloud now because I probably work so much, I, I don't have the problem with the midday activity gap. Um, but yeah, people go for a walk either. I mean, that's a practice that has fallen away. If you go to a nice park and walk and talk, I mean, that's a, that's a great way to have a good conversation, the fresh air and very healthy. And if you find the right venue, you know, it can be really a pleasurable thing also. So why not do something like that instead? And I also think the thing that, that she said is I used to meet friends for lunch. That is to me where she should say, no, she should still meet them for lunch. Like just because you're going to a restaurant doesn't mean you can't eat and you can have so much fun. I've gotten to the point where a lot of my friends, because I fast so much, a lot of my friends, the first thing they say, are you eating today? Like they just are like, because usually one out of three times or two out of three times, I'm going to go to lunch with you, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to eat. And so all my friends might be eating. I'm still having a great time. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm the same myself. A coffee is a great thing to have, like a black coffee with them. So you're still having something. And uh, you can also, some people, if they want to fib or tell a little white lie, they can indicate that they had a late breakfast and they're really not hungry if they don't want to admit that they're purposely fasting. So that's another little <laughs> well, I just think it's, I think they should just say, I think they should just be honest and say, listen, I'm not physically hungry right now, or I'm fasting during this meal. It's totally fine. Now they will get to the point like, like my friends do that they, it's like just commonplace. Like no one's ever trying to be like, oh, Chantel, just eat a little something or just have hmm. this, or I feel bad. Like the very first time it was a little awkward because they're like, are you sure you don't want to eat? Or I feel bad eating in front of you. That was the first time. Hmm. Now no one is, everyone's like, oh, hey, what's up? It's just commonplace. And you want it to be that way. You want to share that experience with them. Like, I feel so much better by doing this. And it motivates them to not push you yeah. to try to eat when you're not wanting to eat at that meal. Actually, that's a great point, Chantel. And it kind of, as I was saying what I said, I was thinking of that. You're not really showing leadership by telling fibs, you know, but for someone who really feels under peer pressure, it might be a backup. But yeah. of course, to say to people what we just said, that when I have a, a really healthy breakfast, I find that I feel much better in the afternoon. I work better. I think clearer. I feel much better to wait for an evening meal. It just really suits me. And you should try it because unless you do that for a little while and get used to it, you know, it will feel odd to skip a meal. But 
if you get used to it, it feels much better. It's a win at the end of the day, yeah. All right, this next question is from Mark in Madison, which I don't know where Madison is, but he says, I'm a 63-year-old man. I've been doing the paleo diet for eight months. I got some blood work done last week, and my doctor told me that my cholesterol is very high. Do you think it's because of my diet, and should I stop, stop it even though it's helped me lose about 20 pounds? Yeah, this is a common one. And there is a site, cholesterolcode.com with Dave Feldman, which deals with the hyper responders, which is a new name for people when they go really low carb or keto, their cholesterol can jump quite alarmingly. And the thing really to tell people is that even the top experts in the field, like Castelli, the director of the Framingham study, the longest heart study ever running, they acknowledged 30 years ago that the LDL cholesterol on its own doesn't really mean much when you look at it on its own. So you have to look at the ratios. So your total cholesterol divided by your LDL bad cholesterol should be below five. And that's much more important than the cholesterol values alone. Or your triglycerides, which you can also get in your cholesterol test. If you divide your triglycerides by your HDL good cholesterol, that's trigs over HDL, that should be below two in American units. So these are much more important measures. And your blood insulin and your blood glucose levels and HbA1c and inflammatory markers like CRP, there's many, many great measures of health in the blood test. And LDL or total cholesterol, they're actually very weak predictors of future events or, or health issues. So I'd say you have to educate yourself. A lot of my videos discuss this at length. I can send you a couple of links later that explain in depth what I just said. Uh, and they could be really useful resources also for people who are concerned. Mm, good. This next one is from Emma in Pasadena. If I switch to a high protein, low carb diet, how can I make sure I'm still getting the vitamins and nutrients like potassium and fiber that I normally get from carbs? Emma in Pasadena. Right. Well, potassium, if you take as an example, so you get potassium in avocado, I think is a large load of potassium. And you've got spinach and low carb above ground vegetables are great sources of potassium, magnesium and many other minerals. So I think a low carb diet, it doesn't mean you're missing all the vegetables and fiber. In fact, many people on a low carb diet eat a lot of vegetables and fiber full of nutrients and minerals. And uh, there's no problem whatsoever. I think dietdoctor.com uh, in Sweden, run by Andreas Einfeld, he's a medical doctor. If you just Google that, they've got great articles on low carb and getting your fiber and your nutrients. Also, potassium is high in shellfish and in quite a lot of meats as well. And you get magnesium in meats, you get magnesium, which is very important in coffee, for instance, and in, oh, bitter chocolate more than coffee, sorry. So bitter chocolate and cocoa has huge amounts of magnesium and nuts are a very rich source as well of many minerals. So I think your low carb diet has to be well formulated. And I think Diet Doctor is a good resource for that. And we certainly cover it in our book, Eat Rich, Live Long. We have a whole chapter on um, minerals and nutrients that are important and, and what all the foods are to make sure you target them. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today and tell listeners where they can find out more about you and follow your work. Right. Well, thefatemperor.com, that's T-H-E-F-A-T-E-M-P-E-R-O-R.com because some people put O-R-E-R. So if you go there and you scroll down the homepage, the subscribe button's there, which would be fantastic to subscribe to. But if you Google my name, Ivor Cummins, you'll immediately get a lot of links to my podcast, YouTube, and thefatemperor.com. So that can be the easiest way sometimes to get the hits. And the last thing I'd say, Chantel, I work on behalf of Irish Heart Disease Awareness, which you are kind to mention at the start, and ihda.ie is our website. And there you'll find out all the crucial information about the calcium scan to find out if you have heart disease and to do something about it. So if people go to ihda.ie, that'd be fantastic and share the message around. Awesome. And so tell us when you, when you go there, what were you saying that you can get when you go to IHDA? Say it one more time ihda.ie yes on the front page we've got a series of two to three minute videos which will explain all about the calcification scan the ct scan of the heart and the cac score so it's all explained in around seven or eight minutes and it's a crucial scan to find out if you have heart disease how bad it is and if you need to take action so it beats mm. all the other blood tests and all stress tests and all the other measures of heart disease in one five minute scan oh awesome and i'd love to put that in our show notes as well if you send that link to us we'll put that in the show notes and if you have a question that you want answered go to questions at chantelrayway.com we'll see you next time bye-bye Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.